Well, good evening, and let me take this opportunity to welcome you to the Sweetwater Baptist Church. We are delighted and honored that you have chosen to be with us this evening as we study the Word of God together. As we begin, let's bow together for a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you tonight for every person who has joined us by the means of the Internet. And Father, I pray this evening as we study the Word of God together that God, your Holy Spirit might be our guide and our teacher. Father, I thank you for those who are a part of the Sweetwater Baptist Church family who are watching, and then all of those who are friends and uh, loved ones of the Sweetwater Baptist Church and Facebook. God, my Facebook family and friends, I'm so honored that they have joined us as well. So Lord, bless us now as we continue to study and we make this prayer in the name of Jesus and for his sake and all God's people said, Amen. I want to invite you to take your Bibles this evening and to turn with me to the book of Psalms. Psalm 78 tonight to the book of Psalms to Psalm 78. And I want to read the last three verses of Psalm 78. Now, as you're turning, tonight we are in chapter 11 of our book, Sacred Sites. We're studying together the great sites of the Holy Land and how do they relate to us. You've heard me mention before, but there are three things in this book. There is archaeology, geography, and theology. And so we want to see how these archaeological places, these sacred sites, uh, the geographical locations that we're studying about, how do, the, how do they apply to us? And what kind of a message can we learn by studying the Word of God related to these special places that we read about? Well, tonight we're going to look at one of the most colorful characters in all of the Bible. His name is David. We're on the letter K of the alphabet tonight, and we're looking at King David, and I have just simply entitled this message, A Man After God's Own Heart. A Man After God's Own Heart. And we read about this in Psalm 78, beginning with verse 70. The psalm writer is describing the reign, the rule, the leadership of David. And here's what he says. He chose David, also his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the ewes, great with young, he brought him to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. So he fed them. Notice verse 72. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart, and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. King David lived some 3,000 years ago. He actually lived from about 1040 B.C. to 970 B.C. He is one of the most important figures in all of the Bible, not only to Judaism, but to Christianity as well, Now, the Bible tells us that he was buried in the city of David. 
It's very specific about this. It says in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 10, So David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. Hundreds of years later, Simon Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. And as he's preaching in Acts chapter 10, he refers, or excuse me, Acts chapter 2 rather, he refers to the burial site of King David. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 29, here's what he says. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Now in the photograph that you're looking at on the screen this evening, you are looking at the tomb of David. It is the second most holy sacred site for a Jew. The first being the western wall or the wailing wall. And in the weeks to come, when we get to the letter W, we're going to journey to the wailing wall and talk about that sacred site. But tonight we're dealing with King David. And so for a Jewish person, this is one of the most holiest sacred sites in Israel. Now tonight when we talk about a character like David, the word we have to use is the word epic. His life had so many events. And how do you condense down the life when it relates to his actions, his achievements, his influence? How, how can we do that in the few minutes that we're going to have together tonight? Well, tonight I want to give you a word, and it comes right off of that tapestry on the tomb of King David. If you look at that tomb, uh, you'll notice down at the bottom uh, by this Jewish man who's there reading uh, the Word of God, the Torah, the Old Testament, perhaps the Psalms, many that David wrote. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But you'll notice there two symbols related to David. Uh, you'll also notice crowns at the top. But one of those is called the Star of David. Two equilateral triangles that represent the unification of the entire kingdom of Israel. But I don't want to talk about that one. I want to talk about that second symbol, and it is the harp. Because King David is always associated with a harp. And you remember that little David was called to the, to the room, to the bedside of King Saul, and he was summoned there to play his harp to soothe the uh, tormented soul of King Saul. We read about this in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And because he was a skilled musician, and loved playing the harp, the harp is always associated with David. So tonight, to kind of guide us as we talk about this epic life, I want to use the word harp tonight, H-A-R-P. And there are four things that I want to say about King David, this great man 
of God. A man after God's own heart. A uh, heart, not heart, but heart. So let me give you four things. Number one, in the word harp, the letter H, that stands for hero. David was a great hero. Now, the particular picture that you're looking at there is a statue of David in the city of David itself. I have been blessed to go to the Holy Land on numerous occasions, and it just so happened that I took this picture on one of those occasions in which this statue had not been defaced. Uh, it has been covered with paint on occasion that I have been there uh, due to the Orthodox Jews who do not believe that you should make any type of an image of a person. And uh, as a result, the Orthodox Jews had thrown paint on it on one occasion. The last time I was in Israel, which was back in January, uh, this statue wasn't even there. So I don't know if it had been destroyed or removed, but typically this statue is in the city of David as a reminder of his reign and rule and the importance in the history of Israel. You'll notice that in this statue or on this statue, David is portrayed with his crown on his head, but also his harp in his hand. So we're using that word harp to talk about his life, and we've said that the letter H stands for hero. He was such a great hero. Now, he was known for his heroic acts even as a teenage boy. Because you'll remember that when he has a conversation with King Saul in 1 Samuel 17, he talks about a lion that came to his flocks on one occasion and he killed the lion. Not only a lion, but a bear. So he had killed a lion and a bear with his bare hands as a teenage boy. He is best known for his act of hero heroism when he kills Goliath, the great giant. And of course, we have all learned about his uh, uh, taking the life of Goliath in vacation Bible school, in Sunday school. We read about this in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And you'll recall that Goliath had brought great fear to the army of Israel. Well, David was called by his father to go and to take some food to his brothers who were a part of the Israeli army. And when he got there, he saw that this giant was in the middle of the valley uh, mocking God, mocking the army. And you remember David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would mock the name of God? And the Bible tells us that David went out and chose stones and with a slingshot that he went and he killed the giant Goliath. He did it because of his great courage. And when we think about a hero, we are reminded that they are people of courage. On another occasion, after defeating many Philistines, in 1 Samuel 18, the women began to sing a song, and it went like this. 
Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. He was a great hero. You know, we all need heroes in life. Recently here at Sweetwater in one of our children's worship services, we talked about the heroes that we have. And of course, the greatest hero is Jesus Christ himself. But for a Jewish boy, before the arrival of Christ, uh, for a, a young man growing up in Israel, David was that hero because of his courage. And ladies and gentlemen, we need men, we need women, we need young people today that have great courage for God. Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 6 puts it this way, be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doeth go with thee, he will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. We need courage to fight Satan. We need courage to fight sin. We need courage to fight the struggles of life. And certainly right now in our day and time as we're facing the COVID-19 pandemic, we are reminded that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. So one of the great lessons that we can learn from this man, David, is the lesson of courage. And because of his courage, knowing that God was with him, it gave to him that great confidence to trust in the Lord, to have the bravery that he would need in order to destroy a giant by the name of Goliath or to defeat and to kill a lion and a bear and later to be the great king of Israel. So the letter H stands for hero. But there's a second letter in that word harp, and that's the letter A, and that stands for ancestor. Ancestor. Now the reason I have chosen the word ancestor is because David was the ancestor of Jesus Christ himself. Now, you know, many people are interested in their ancestors. Uh, we have a website that we see advertisements for called Ancestry.com, uh, and you can go there and it will help you trace your ancestors and your roots and try to find out uh, your background and where your ancestors came from, what part of the world. But Jesus and David had a lot in common. For one thing, they were born in the same city. You remember David was from Bethlehem. Well, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Now the reason for this is because he was from the tribe, the Israeli tribe of Judah. And when the taxation took place that we read about in the New Testament, specifically in the Gospel of Luke, uh, the family of Jesus, Joseph and Mary, uh, had to make their way to Bethlehem to be taxed there because that was the 
area from which the tribe of Judah was from. Jesus was from the lineage of David. And we read about this in Matthew chapter 1, verse 17. Let me read this. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. So in Matthew chapter 1, verse 17, Matthew, who is writing a Jewish congregation, his audience was a Jewish group of people, then that's why he makes very specific details related to the lineage of Jesus to show that he came from David. Now the word I want to use to describe both David and Jesus is the word royalty. Royalty. Jesus had royal blood in his veins. Why? Well, because he was from the tribe of Judah, but also because he was even a greater king than David. Now, in Luke chapter 1, when the angel appears to Mary, here's what the, the angel's message was to the virgin Mary. Gabriel says this, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne, listen to this, give to him the throne of his father David, his ancestor, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. So the angel Gabriel, appearing to the Virgin Mary, makes it very clear that Jesus will be the king that will sit on the throne of David forever and ever. David was a great king, I'm going to say more about that, but his rule was limited. His reign was for a specific amount of time. But the reign of Jesus will be forever. Now the Apostle Paul writing about this in 1 Timothy 6 verse 15 put it this way. Which God will bring about in his own time the blessed only ruler, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. Referring to Jesus Christ who will reign for all of eternity. I'm going to say more about that as we conclu conclude this message. So the letter H, hero. The letter uh, A, ancestor. But now the letter R, specifically to David, ruler. Ruler. You see, he was a great king. He was the second king in Israel's history, King Saul being the first but King David being the second. He reigned for 40 years. We know this from 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. Let me read this passage to you. David was 30 years old when he became king and reigned 40 years in Hebron or Hebron. 
He reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned over Israel and Judah 33 years. One of the things that David did, we'll talk more about this when we get to Jerusalem, but he made Jerusalem the capital of Israel. Two things I want to say about his reign, his kingship, and he being ruler. Number one, he was a talented leader. David was a talented leader. I want you to look again at verse 72 if you still have your Bibles open in Psalm 78. Here's what the psalm writer says. So he led them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. Sometimes when a person has a special talent, maybe they can sing, maybe they're a craftsman, maybe they're uh, gifted when it comes to being a seamstress. We'll, we'll say something like this, they are skilled in what they can do. Well, the psalm writer in describing the rule, the reign, and the leadership of David says that he was talented and he was skillful. Now, when we think about David being a talented leader, there are a couple of things I want to say about this. Number one, he was chosen. He was chosen by God. Now, you will remember the story, and we read about this in 1 Samuel 16, of how God called Samuel, the priest, to go down to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem, and there he would be led and instructed, he would be told which son in the house of Jesse that he was to anoint. The Bible says he goes down to Bethlehem, he summons Jesse and his sons. The Bible tells us that there were seven sons that came before Samuel the priest but God had not selected any of them. So finally, after each son paraded in front of the priest Samuel, he said, are there any more? Because God had said, I, don't, I, don't, I haven't chosen any of these. And so he asked Jesse the question. He said, are there any more sons? And he said, well, there's one. He's the run of the litter, but he's out taking care of the sheep. Surely God has not chosen him. And Samuel said to him, go and fetch him. The Bible says they brought little David before the priest. He was a handsome young man. He was just a boy. But remember this, as John Dickinson sang this evening, when others see a shepherd boy, God sees a king. And the Bible tells us that when he came in, God told Samuel, arise, anoint him, for this is the king of Israel. So he was chosen. Another thing, he was very charismatic. Uh, people were just drawn to him. The Bible talks about the mighty men of David, those loyal, faithful soldiers who aligned themselves with King David. They loved him. They followed him. They fought for him because he was very charismatic, but he was also competent. He knew what he was doing. God had gifted him for this specific job 
this specific assignment of being the king of Israel. And whom God appoints, God anoints. And so God had chosen him, appointed him to be the king of Israel. And as a result, God used him in a mighty way. He blessed him with the gifts and the talents that he would need to be a great ruler. But not only was he a talented ruler, he was a troubled ruler. A troubled ruler. Right now, in my prayer time, I'm reading a devotional book on failure. Now that seems like an odd thing to be reading. But did you realize that in our greatest failures, God is given the opportunity to work. And just because a person is chosen of God and just because God had appointed him and anointed him does not mean that his rule and reign was going to be free from failure and errors and difficulties and struggles. In fact, he had a very troubled reign. And it really was a result of his own making. He had kind of shot himself in the foot and it began with his adulterous affair with Bathsheba and then by arranging for the death of her husband, Uriah, at the front lines of battle. You will remember that the child that he fathered by Bathsheba died. And so from this event in the life of David, of committing sin against God, then it plunged the kingdom into disorder. Let me read a couple of things that happened as a result. He experienced great family turmoil. His son, Amnon, raped his half-sister, Tamar. Absalom, another son of David, being the full brother of Tamar, avenged this sinful deed by killing Amnon. Later, Absalom revolted against his father and tried to ascend to the throne but was killed by David's general, Joab. So you have this spiraling effect as the sin of David created a, a history in this family of sexual immorality as Amnon raped his half-sister Tamar and then Absalom kills his brother Abnon, and then Absalom decides he wants to be king, and there was all of this trouble and all of this turmoil. Years later, once David got control of the kingdom again, he was lifted up by pride, and because of, a, of the temptation of the devil and the instigation of Satan, the Bible tells us he took a census, he numbered the people. God told him, don't do this. But he wanted to see how many people he was ruler over. And because of his pride and disobedience, God sent a plague upon the nation of Israel. And because of David's disobedience and because of his sin of pride in trying to number the people, 70,000 citizens, 70,000 people in Israel died as a result of the sin of David. So we can say when it comes to his kingship, his rulership, that he was a talented leader, but he was also a 
troubled leader. And one of the most difficult things for a leader and for a king and for a person in authority is to become prideful. And we are reminded what the Word of God says, that pride goeth before a downfall, a haughty spirit before destruction. And the Bible tells us that blessed are the humble. We need to be humble, for God exalteth the humble and giveth grace to those who are humble. God resists the proud. And tonight we all need to pray that God will give us a spirit of humility, of lowliness in the eyes of ourselves, so that God might be the exalter, not self. And so because of his pride, his kingdom, his rule, was often marked by trouble. One final thing I do want to say about David tonight on a positive note, and that is the letter P, he was a psalmist. A psalmist. Now we have in our Bible the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is the Jewish hymnal. Our Jewish friends use those Psalms uh, in their worship of the Lord, just like we do as believers and as Christians. Now, David wrote 73 of the Psalms that we have in our Bible. There are 150 Psalms in the book of Psalms. He wrote 73 of them, a little less than half of the Psalms uh, that we find in the Old Testament. David was a true worshiper of God. He worshiped the Lord. When the Ark of the Covenant was brought into the city of David, the Bible tells us in 2 Samuel chapter 5, that he danced before the Lord as an act of celebration, as an act of worship for the goodness of God. He was grateful to God. And throughout his lifetime, he wrote many psalms. Now, I want to give to you six different categories of the psalms. And uh, this will help you to understand uh, the types of psalms that he wrote. He was a great psalmist. He was a great poet. He was an amazing man because he was a, a warrior, but he was also a poet. So he wrote psalms of adoration, and what I mean by that are psalms of worship and exaltation of God. Not only did he write psalms of adoration, giving glory to the Lord, he wrote psalms of appreciation and thanksgiving. Appreciation giving thanks to God. The third type of psalm that he wrote were psalms of meditation. Let me give you an example of one. Psalm 23. You remember he meditates on the Lord being his shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, he's meditating, he's contemplating, he's thinking about the great shepherd. The fourth type of category, and by the way, all of these are found in the book, Sacred Sites, and the fourth type is exhortation, where he exhorts us to live for God. He exhorts us and gives us commandments that we are to follow. The fifth 
type of psalm are psalms of supplication, uh, meaning prayers to God, prayers that were voiced to Almighty God. And then a sixth type of psalm that we find in those 73 psalms that he wrote is the uh, category of restoration, psalms of confession, psalms of repentance before God, and specifically Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. So the six categories of those 73 psalms that he wrote are adoration, appreciation, meditation, exhortation, supplication, and restoration. Now, being a psalmist, a poet, his heart is revealed. You know, poetry is a wonderful way to express your emotions, how you're feeling. And when you read the Psalms, you can find times where David was on the mountaintop and he's rejoicing and he's praising God. There are other times when you read the Psalms that he's discouraged, and he's depressed. On one occasion, he said, oh, that I had wings like a dove where I could just fly away. And so there's this range of emotions in the life of David. But in all of the psalms, in these poems, in these songs that he wrote, you discover an overlying theme. And that theme is this, a desire to have that personal relationship with God. And ladies and gentlemen, God is a personal God who desires a personal relationship with you, with me, and just like he had with David. In Psalm 63, verse 1, listen to what David said. O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and a thirsty land where no water is. His desire, his longing was to know more about God. We immediately have gathered from the sermon that David was not a perfect man, by no means. None of us are perfect. But in spite of our flaws, in spite of our sins, in spite of our shortcomings, God still loves us. And in spite of our failures, God still uses us, just like he did with David. He was an imperfect vessel that God did three main things. Number one, he united the nation of Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel were united under his rule. A second thing that God used this imperfect vessel to do was to defeat the armies of God. He was a great warrior, and as a result, the armies of God were defeated. A third thing that he did, he prepared the nation of Israel for the building of the temple. Now, David wanted to build the temple. It was his desire and you'll remember that God said, no, uh, there's too much blood on your hands. And so that privilege is going to go to your son, Solomon, who, by the way, 
was fathered by David and Bathsheba. The grace of God allowed another son to be born who would become the third king of Israel and would expand Israel's influence and borders unprecedented to its greatest heights under the rule and reign of King Solomon. But because David was a man of war and had blood on his hands, he was not allowed to build the temple, but he was allowed to begin the process of getting the materials, of putting the blueprint together so that everything would fall into the hands of Solomon. And in 1 Kings 15 verse 5, the Bible says, Because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. So as he is remembered, he is remembered for his valor, valor, great leadership, his competence, and uniting the nation of Israel. He was a great king, no doubt about it. But ladies and gentlemen, we are reminded that Jesus Christ is the ultimate king. And when we were talking about him being the ancestor of Jesus, we said that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. As a result, we should surrender to him, we should serve him, we should submit to him. Jesus Christ deserves our allegiance. Our allegiance is to be to him. He deserves our affection as we love Him day by day. and He deserves our adoration as we worship Him in spirit and in truth. So what can we say about David tonight? He was a hero, an ancestor, a ruler, and a psalmist. But Jesus Christ is so much greater. And I want to close with the, word of that, the words of that great old hymn. Oh, worship the King, all glorious above, and gratefully sing His wonder, wonderful love. Our shield and defender, the ancient of days, pavilioned in splendor and girded with praise. Let's bow together for a final prayer. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for the life of King David. Lord, he was a hero, an ancestor, a ruler, and a psalmist. But God, we realize tonight that Jesus Christ is so much greater. We worship you tonight. We surrender to you. We submit to your authority. God, we pray that we will be loyal to you day by day. Thank you, God, for such a great life how that you used a man that was imperfect. He had faults and he had flaws. And Lord, tonight we pray that you'll use us in spite of our faults, in spite of our flaws. And we make this prayer in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. God bless you for being with us tonight. And I look forward to seeing you again when we will meet again at our next appointed hour. Remember, Jesus loves you and so do I.